Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help, with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, our heart breaks for the episode of NXT that originally aired on October 2nd, 2014, which can never again challenge for the (laughs) Wrestling Episode Championship. (laughs) It's very sad. It is so sad. But that won't stop us from grabbing the mic and loudly proclaiming its failure for all the world to hear. Welcome to episode 72 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Titus O'Neil arrived, and Tyson Kidd added fuel to the simmering fire that is the weirdly hot competitive friendship between Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode, Kidd gets his last ever NXT Championship match. Bailey gets her rematch for the NXT Women's Title, but most importantly, Jason Jordan is here. He's on this episode, Bob. Yes. And he's gonna have things to investigate. We'll get to all of that and so much more in Bob's Breakdown, after which we are going to have to ring the bell for one of our, uh, let's just say one of our loose acquaintances here at NXT. (laughs) I thought you might. You say hi to him when you show up for work, but you don't ask how his weekend was, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I do. After that, we'll get into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, hand out the Lawrence Bolivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit, try out a brand new wrestling term of the week, and close things out, as always, with the cheap pop quiz. But before any of that, we have to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. No points yet so far for Bob in this latest round of quizzing, but we'll see if that changes right here and now. Maybe. Question number one. Who gets new theme music on the next episode? Was it A, Tyson Kidd? B, The Ascension, C, The Vaude Villains, D, Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger, or E, all of the above. Bob, you successfully divined Jordan and Dillinger's appearance on this episode by selecting mm. them, but the correct answer, I'm afraid, was The Vaude Villains. Mm, okay. Question number two. On the next episode, somebody notices that Hideo Itami is having trouble going up against The Ascension 2-on-1 and steps up to have Hideo's back. Who is it? A. Mojo Rawley B. Tyler Breeze C. Mojo Rawley and Tyler Breeze D. A character we haven't seen before named Sho Funaki or E. A character we haven't seen before named Finn Balor Y'all, Bob knows Finn is coming (laughs) I do, I know about this Bob is aware of the fact that Finn Balor is showing up in this promotion soon It is not this episode, however You knew about it, you selected E You had some wishful thinking going on there, Bob Gotta wait a little bit longer but the correct answer was Imagine D. Imagine if it had been fucking Mojo Raleigh, though, who'd just been like, I've lost a lot. I'm here to have your back. He's like, uh, thanks. I'll do it alone. It's cool. Never mind. A character we haven't seen before named Sho Funaki is the correct answer. And again, we will get to that. And question number three. We have two championship matches on the next episode, Bob. The NXT women's title match between Bailey and Charlotte and Tyson Kidd challenging Adrian Neville for the NXT title one last time. Between them, these matches include A, a disqualification, a heel turn, and interference from Titus O'Neil. 
B, a hug, Sami Zayn kicking someone in the head, and interference from Titus O'Neil. C, a disqualification, Sami Zayn kicking someone in the head, and interference from Sasha Banks. D, a hug, a heel turn, and interference from Sasha Banks. Or E, interference from Titus O'Neil, interference from Sasha Banks, and interference from Natalia. Bob, you selected C, a disqualification, mm -hmm. Sammy kicking someone in the head, and interference from Sasha Banks. I'm afraid that's incorrect. Mm. We did oh, get a you Sasha Banks me. attack, but you she did. did not interfere in the match. The correct answer was B, the hug, the Sami Zayn kick, and interference from Titus O'Neil, who it turns out is the person Sami Zayn kicked. So again, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later too. But yes, I did manage to skunk you once again, Bob. So wow, um, you're doing so good. You know what? I'm proud of you, Miles. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm attempting to step up my game a little bit in the cheap pop quiz. <laughs> no, I'm here for it. Thank you. With that in mind, Bob, it is time. Let's get into Bob's breakdown. commentary team for this episode is Alex Riley, Jason Albert, and Rich Brennan. We miss you, Renee. Yeah, seriously. It's not the worst that it could have been, but I mean, Renee would have helped a lot. She would have. Match number one, the Bailey and Charlotte rematch. Yeah. Bailey starts out ready to end it quick with some roll-ups, just twining with Charlotte. Like this is that National Geographic about snakes after hibernation for the winter. We've all seen it. Mm -hmm. Bailey pulls out a move that I don't even have a name for. Imagine if you tried to make your opponent suplex themselves, sort of, but with an arm drag. <laughs> if yeah. that has a name, I am unaware of it. Miles, does it have a name? I don't know exactly. No. There are people Someone in this world. Someone out there is screaming. Yeah, there are people in this world who are much better at identifying the names of wrestling moves than I am. Excalibur uh, would know, but Excalibur, Excalibur would know. I am no longer on wrestling commentary, so it's not my job <laughs> to know anymore. Charlotte hates this and leaves the ring like, you made me suplex myself? This will not stand. She gets back in the ring and starts going after one of Bailey's legs. Well, two can play at that game. Mm. Bailey chooses an arm. Charlotte gets back on the leg and says a sarcastic, let's go, Bailey. Charlotte is torquing Bailey's knee in ways that are probably illegal outside the state of Florida. There <laughs> is a reason why WWE is based there. Probably taxes, but some other reasons, too, I would imagine. Taxes, COVID policies, you know. <laughs> probably, like, employment safety things, I would imagine. <laughs> OSHA is a suggestion there. Charlotte ring-a-ding-dings Bailey's ACL off the corner post, and then comes the figure four leg. Mm. Now, you cannot do this with a gymnast. It is unwise because Charlotte does a bridge, which means that Bailey is at risk of tap out and being pinned. Bailey yep. flips it and Charlotte leaps for a rope to break it up. And now it's a damn good thing that Bailey is not a horse because if you speak harshly around a horse's knees, it's game over. You must speak in hushed tones and staples at all times. Not just because <laughs> horses scare easy, but also their knees scare easy. If I so, was a wrestler, I would refuse to wrestle a horse. Oh, yeah, this is true. No, God, no. Don't go near them. They're so dangerous. Yeah, I no, love that's not them, happening. They're so, so dangerous. Give me the big show any day of the week, but don't give me that horse. <laughs> it's just a pony in a singlet. I love it. <laughs> 
Bailey, with her strong human knees, gets to her feet and rushes to Charlotte, shouldering her in the gut. She tries to set up a move on Charlotte, but Charlotte is too keen to be caught out and does bow down to the queen on Bailey to claim the victory. Which, honestly, it made me go, you made me look at Cronenbergian knee shit and you didn't even have a tap out. Why did you make me do this? (laughs) And I get it's doing something but i was also like you made me see knee stuff stop it no it's it's um, it's actually a legitimate criticism bob thank you i mean charlotte does not have a tap out thing yet well i mean she's got that submission move that figure four bridging into what will oh. i think later mm-hmm. be called the figure eight but that's not a proper that's not a bank statement well no but i mean it is it is definitely the figure four is is widely oh, okay, considered fine. to be a proper finishing move bob oh, mm-hmm. as you know. well i mean not in this household <laughs> But no, like it's I was a little bit surprised that they did all that limb work and it didn't pay off at all with a finish. The only if you were looking closely, you could see that it paid off a little bit. I agree because Bailey was like at a, you know, at a disadvantage. And I was like, I'm willing to accept this. But that's a weird move anyway. Well, and and specifically the finish of the match sees Bailey try to lift Charlotte up for a move and she can't lift her. And it's not exaggerated like it usually is when they're going for this kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. She can't lift her, I'm assuming, because of the the knee that Charlotte's been working over. And that allows Charlotte to counter, go over her, and then hit bow down to the queen for the victory. Mm, or natural selection. Right. What are they calling it now? Is I it natural selection now? natural selection now. Yeah, okay. It's natural selection now, I'm pretty sure. But then. But then. Yes. Charlotte walks over to Bailey, who's recovering on the ropes and doing the, oh, God, that was hard. And hugs her. Bailey is hugged by Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't very sapphic. I didn't, it, but it was very respectful and it was nice and I approved of it. She it says was, something Charlotte does to her, uh, something like, you make me be better or something like that. <gasps> Gasp! If you, Miles, if you keep an eye on her face. Okay, now it's somewhat sapphic. You're welcome. All right, match two, the Ascension, but only Victor. <laughs> it, I mean, they're both there, but yeah. it's about Victor. He's there in a fight, Hideo Itami, and I super approve of how supportive Connor is being. But I was like, maybe don't send your smaller partner to go against Footy McKicks a lot. <laughs> Victor is slightly bigger than Itami, but I, nobody is bigger than Itami's kicks. Like, yeah. Itami could kick Godzilla into like a knockout. I, <laughs> I want to see that now, but I, also he could do it. But oh shit. The bell hasn't even gone yet, and the Ascension are kicking the shit out of Itami. Like, he is a small firework near other larger fireworks. Uh-huh. Like, they're just stamping desperately. And, <laughs> no, there's a lot of stamping. It wasn't just kicks. It was also just, like, gentle stamps. Like, you're just you trying to put them out? can't actually stamp somebody. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just like, oh, fuck, he's slightly on fire. <laughs> the ref is going, you cannot have some decency. And then suddenly, from the back... A flood of referees. Miles, it's rare to see this many in one place. Normally, they're solitary creatures, much like orangutans or tigers. They only come together to mate and raise young, you see. (laughs) Uh, To mate, raise young, and occasionally be part of Uh, (laughs) storylines. What do you call a group of referees, though? Well, you said a a flood, and I was wondering if that's the collective noun for a group of referees, but I'm wondering if it's a stripe. A stripe. That's very good. If you out there have thoughts on what the collective noun for a group of referees in wrestling is, please let us know because I am open to many different possibilities. <laughs> I can see that because some people call them zebras that it might be a herd, but that's boring. Mm. 
All right. Well, needless to say, the match doesn't even really get started because Connor and Victor wreck this kick boy, picking him up and then working together to slam him to the mat extra. Now, it is not clear to me how Victor jumping off the top rope at Connor holding a Tommy constitutes helping, but I have seen enough Russells to know that it is. Yeah. Just don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. It's a real don't worry about it. Itami lays squashed upon the mat, surrounded by refs. One ref is waving his hands like they beat him so much. So just so many beats. Second ref, get help. You over there, call 911. Third ref is asking a different person to call 911. The fourth (laughs) ref comes in like he missed his cue and isn't totally sure what he's supposed to be doing. (laughs) And then we just watch, Miles, for like a solid minute as a fucking renaissance painting unfolds in front of us. This is like one of those saints right before death and everyone is just gathered around being a nosy Parker and being like, oh, hey, what's up? One ref is doing last supper arms and a few (laughs) others are trying some like faith healing hand motions. It is a lot, Miles. The passion of the kick. Yeah, the passion of the kick. Backstage, Carmella is in the ring with Enzo and Enzo is being a gross hair sniffer, like literally a gross hair sniffer. Carmella is being the very best feisty small, and I love her. And so Enzo's being shitty, and then Carmella drop kicks Enzo out of the fucking ring. Look, it is super gross that Enzo is doing this as his shtick, Mm -hmm. but I do appreciate that the joke is that Enzo is a dumb fuck who gets his ass kicked by somebody who is just very today learning how to wrestle. And I was like, all right, I hate this, but I am willing to tolerate it under the, one, because we have to. Right. And then two, because I was like, all right, Carmella comes out looking like the badass. Yeah, uh, I can confirm that this is absolutely the grossest it gets in the storyline. Okay, So it's not getting any grosser than this. Uh, and it's okay. not going to be anywhere near this level of gross anymore. Like this is this is this is peak grossness of this uh, this oh, whole thing. Okay. All right. So we've we've gotten past it now. I'm happy for us. If Carmella weren't positioned as clearly being like much better than him and contemptuous of him, and he doesn't know anything and is a stupid loser, then yes. it would be far less palatable than it is. It's still not great. I still don't love seeing no. it. But I I went on my rant on the last episode. Elle already talked about it on the last Takeover episode. I don't think we need to spend any more time or oxygen on Enzo Amore. Match number three, Baron Corbin against this guy. His name is Troy McLean, and I kept thinking as Troy McClure, because obviously. Right. He gets hit with the end of days to lose this match after about 90 seconds. And I just want to take this moment to say some nice things about Troy McLean. I think it's fun that his pants are the shiniest navy blue that I've ever seen. It's not quite Lycra, but it's almost Lycra. Miles, would you like to say something nice about Troy McLean? Uh, I would, but I'm going to wait to a future segment. Oh, oh no. <laughs> well, I, I also want to say his white boots, extremely well-kept, which is difficult to do with white boots. Very much so. I mean, you and I both live in the desert. We don't want to own white shoes. <laughs> we don't own white anything unless it's like to protect me from the heat. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're like, white is either a tactical move or a resignation that you will soon own beige, whatever it is. Right. It's either a strategy or a mistake. Yeah, pretty much. Backstage, Tyson Kidd is going to end this shit with Neville. He only needs this opportunity, and it's the opportunity he's been waiting months for. But people are saying you only got this because your wife went to William Regal. 
Kid shakes his head in utter disgust and stalks off. You'd think these fucking announcers would know not to ask him about that anymore. This is what he does every time you do. He just walks away because he's so disgusted with you. Maybe that's how they end interviews with him. They're like, oh, I don't really have any other questions, but I don't want to say that I don't have other questions. I'll just do this. Maybe there's a bet and like whoever gets him to actually answer a question about that among the announcer pool, like gets wins money. Yeah, I can see that. Well... I suspect we will have some opportunities for that. (laughs) Differently backstage, the Legionnaires. Marcus Louis has the wig and headgear on again. Still no eyebrows. Honestly, what a fucking missed opportunity. They should have drawn on some bad fake eyebrows. (laughs) That, I know, right? Even picturing that hilarious but you can't do it because me wwe i am a genius (laughs) i understand what comedy is you are but fools meddling in the shallow end of the pool no you can't do that though because if you put eyebrows on him he looks completely normal and everybody starts wondering what the fucking fuss is about no but if you did bad ones you have to do like little scribbly ones with an eyebrow pencil or like with an eyeliner that and also you have to make them look scribbly LaFord did it without looking. Like, he just, like, was yes, paying attention 100%. to something else. One has to be perpetually higher than the other. Oh, there's <laughs> millions of ways to do this. Sylvester LaFord is taking this situation so seriously that he's actually wearing his indoor sunglasses on the top of his head instead of on his <laughs> eyes, as he normally does. So, clearly, this is incredibly crucial. He swears revenge against Enzo and Cass and then offers a gray wig to Marcus Louis as a possible fashion option. Louis growls and just says, Revenge! <laughs> which I thought that was interesting. They pronounced it differently, but I really love that LaFour was like, Revenge! Because I was like, that's the best way to say it. All right, match number four. Lady Whistledown's match report. Yes. Messieurs English and Gotch are a joy to have at any ball, and tonight is no exception. And do my eyes deceive me, or is the mustache of Monsieur Gotch looking even more quiffed than usual? <laughs> the ball was off to a fine start when in strode Misters Jordan and Dillinger. I confess to a certain amount of surprise. I'd heard that Mr. Jordan had been working for Scotland Yard in an investigative capacity, but perhaps my sources were mistaken. Dillinger and Jordan are both exquisitely formed young men and set many young people of the town to swooning. Their breeches could not have been any tighter without alerting all and sundry to the arrangement of their particulars. <laughs> the vaudevillains do not take kindly to having their spotlight stolen and decided to turn this into a physical altercation. English and Dillinger began, and the Marquis of Queensbury would have blushed with pride at the display. (laughs) It did not last, as they chose to engage in a more physical form of combat, but it is lovely when one sees a bit of cheekiness. And speaking of cheekiness, after a flourish from Monsieur English, Mr. Dillinger chose to contribute a flourish of his own in the form of dancing pectoral muscles. The vaudevillains are not at home to such frivolities, though, and instead join together to show Mr. Dillinger that he should keep his muscular chest amusements to himself. Although privately, this author hopes we haven't seen the last of that particular treat. Mr. Jordan and Monsieur Gotch are then engaged, which allows Mr. Jordan to show how easily he can lift a fully grown gentleman. But Monsieur Gotch is also able to bring his strength to bear, spinning both of his opponents one after the other before turning over Mr. Dillinger to Monsieur English for a flip that takes 
years off of this author's life each time. <laughs> One cannot discount its effectiveness, though, as the vaudevillains claim the victory, as well as claiming the approval of Baron Titus O'Neill, visiting from Maine, Rostershire. <laughs> Thank God. But Miles. Yes. What has Jason Jordan Wrestling Detective been up to? I'd spent weeks racking my brain trying to decipher Jason Albert's cryptic clues about the strange behavior of my partner, Ty Dillinger. Hadn't come up with much. The big man had no problem flapping his gums on commentary, but ask him for any details about the conspiracy he'd hinted at, and suddenly he clams up faster than a pug being grilled by the Flatfoots. <laughs> All I knew was something about this felt old school. Mm. And when something feels old school around these parts, the first thing you do is book yourself a match with the Vaude villains. Mm. As usual, things didn't go exactly to plan. Couldn't blame Ty this time, though. Simon Gotch's airplane spin was so intense that it gave me a brief glimpse of the true nature of the universe, a trillion different realities folding onto each other like thin sheets of metal forming a single blade, <laughs> which explained how I ended up stumbling all the way out of the ring by myself. It also explained how Gotch had gotten himself to this time period, which was one mystery <gasps> solved. But I can't imagine what that airplane spin would do to a palooka like Ty. It would have been more <laughs> suspicious if he hadn't gotten pinned. But none of that mattered, because by the time that happened, I had already gotten what I came for. My next lead. Ty had done a lot of peck shimmying in that match. Too much peck shimmying. <gasps> He'd been doing it a lot recently, too. Like in a singles match with Tyler Breeze. And where had I seen peck shimmying before? <gasps> After the match, I left Ty to gather his brain back together and went back to the locker room to get sauced. It always helps to have a few snorts in you before you go face to fang with the Ascension. Bob. Yes? What do you think Jason Jordan Wrestling Detective is investigating this week? Dillinger might have been back, and there may not have been any Adam Rose around, but something still smelled fishier than a cat burp. <laughs> Exsanguinations don't just happen, you know? Not unless you're very clumsy with your morning shave. Some dried out remains were found by the performance center dumpster. The only clue was the two straws, one on either side of his neck. The cops tried to claim it was a typical Capri sunning. Someone tried to get the straw in the pouch and it all went pear-shaped, but I knew better. What man would be opening two Capri suns at the same time? He'd drink them one at a time like a normal person. No, this didn't add up. Or maybe it did. Two straws, two murderers. It looked like this kill might have been a tag team affair. Mm. The only way to pursue the investigation was to get back in the ring and start ruling out suspects. The Vaude villains had villain right in the name and it felt like I should check their alibi first. After a bout in the ring, I had my answer. They might have been finely tuned fighting machines, but they didn't care about murder. And even with all those feats of strength, they still wouldn't have had the power to tame a Capri Sun. Puncturing one of those things is a wing and a prayer thing. No, I wasn't looking for someone strong. I was looking for someone supernatural. Wow. We're amazing. I how, how did we do that? Well, I mean, the Ascension are the only other fucking tag team <laughs> The pool is very shallow. Yes, Bob, but I have the ability... I have the resources to know that Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger's next match is against the Ascension. You have no <gasps> such ability. Do you think maybe I've been airplane spun and now I can see the future? 
Seriously, though, did you see Jason Jordan fall out of the ring after that airplane spin? It's the funniest fucking thing in the world. Fuck, no. I, just, I should go back and rewatch Go that back part. and just watch that airplane spin and watch how he sells it. He, like, literally stumbles around the ring for a minute and then just, like, falls Aww. through the ropes and out outside of it. Beautiful. It's All right, amazing. I'll do that. Backstage, Hideo Itami is icing up his wounds and chatting with the doc when in comes a gentleman with some long reddish hair to give him a big hug and say... You're tough, but against the Ascension? I'm a little worried. Don't worry, I got your back. Miles, you want to tell me who this gentleman is? I'll do a little bit more than that, Bob. I will give you a trading card (gasps) on him. Yay! So, Sho Funaki has had an interesting evolution over the course of his career. Uh, he wrestled in the 1990s in Japan, starting off as like a strong style, like super realistic Ooh. wrestler. But okay. eventually, he decided that he preferred lucha libre, uh, which oh, led him to the, the ja- <laughs> which led him to the Japanese lucha libre promotion Michinoku Pro Wrestling. Fuck yeah! In 1998, he came to the WWF, where he and two of his Michinoku Pro teammates formed a nominally villainous but mostly comedic stable called Kayentai. If I'm not mistaken, their most uh, notorious crime was threatening to cut off a porn star's penis. So, oh um, well. In the early 2000s, he became a backstage interviewer on SmackDown, uh, known for introducing himself as Funaki, SmackDown number one announcer. Oh. But a couple years later, he transitioned back to wrestling, competing in the cruiserweight division in WWE until he was released from the company in 2010. After that, he made some light appearances in wrestling, um, both on the independent scene and as we're seeing back here in WWE. Uh, but mostly, he transitioned to being a trainer. So yeah, Funaki. Mm-hmm. He's a. If you're a fan of like 90s Japanese wrestling, he's kind of a big deal. If you're a fan of Attitude Era and early 2000s uh, WWE WWF, uh, he was a familiar face. I need to go see this Michinoko Pro thing, because that sounds like a good time. I've never seen it, but I've heard good things. Backstage, Bailey is chatting about her recent loss, and then Sasha Banks attacks. Uh, There's not a lot to say. We know what is coming next, because that is why you attack somebody. Right. (laughs) Match number five, the main event. Tyson Kidd's last shot at gold while Neville is holding the championship. This match is wild. Like, it's not wild because the match itself is utterly unlike anything we've ever seen before. Although it's a little bit different than how they normally wrestle together. Mm. It's just wildly different to see Tyson Kidd facing off against someone who the crowd isn't sure they love right now. That was super different. So Neville is doing really well in wearing down Tyson Kidd and making the odd pin attempt. The camera keeps showing the back of Titus O'Neil's head so we don't forget he's here. Which means that something is going to be important about him. We come back from commercial and Neville leaps to the ropes and Kid takes him out in the back of the thigh. Adrian Neville hobbles away, but Kid gets his legs locked around Neville's head. Neville turns it into a pin and then fucking deadlifts it into a power bomb. Fucking A, man. <laughs> so I want you to picture a fully grown, made of muscles man with his thighs wrapped around Adrian Neville's head. With his back on the mat, Neville lifts him up from that position. Now, I will tell you, my deadlift weight is 70 pounds. (laughs) And that is under ideal conditions. These are fucking dumbbells. This is not... Right. Not a human being, which is an organic and unwieldy shape. (laughs) 
Plus the fact that Kid is probably 190 pounds or something. I know they probably tell you, but it's probably I, about that. He's probably about there, possibly as high as 200, yeah. God damn, Neville's a freak of nature and he's beautiful. Yeah, he's just an absolutely, completely ridiculous human being. And I, we've <sighs> said it before, but like, just gotta emphasize it one more time. Because you can get used to it, and then you see these things, and you're like, what? Tyson is billed at 204, for the record. All right, well, someday I shall deadlift, oh, 120. I don't know my deadlift weight because I have not attempted it in the last couple of decades. <laughs> well, it's good for your low back, so I'm doing it because yeah, I want yeah, my low yeah. back to hate me less. Neville is powered up and gets a burst of speed, but Tyson Kidd knocks him out with a kick to the head. Now it's Kidd's turn to try and put away Neville. Things heat up and Kid is going to fuck up Neville from off the top rope, but Neville, like the nimble hobbit he is, lands on his feet. Yeah. Neville gets a powerbomb set up and does execute it on Tyson Kid and just, Jesus Christ, like, it made me flinch every time I saw it, and it looks like it broke Kid's neck, and then Kid kicks out. Frankly, at that point, I was just glad he wasn't dead. Kid comes back from it and springs off the rope. Neville is in position to respond to this airborne attack with an airborne attack of his own. But Kid, instead of eating this incoming dropkick, catches Neville's dropkick and turns it into the sharpshooter. Yeah. I love it. This match is so good. <laughs> I know this match is a fucking... Okay, we got to put this on the short list for like yeah. whenever we do yeah. uh, one of those fucking watch parties where it's like, no, no, no. These are the NXT matches you're never going to hear about, but they're real fucking We good. absolutely do. This match is so good. <laughs> Neville gets out. Neville is feeling rough and heads to the outside after a blow from Kid, seeking a little bit of that peace and quiet that there was ever so much of in the Shire. <laughs> He's near Titus O'Neil. Camera cuts to Kid in the ring, convalescing from a kick to the back of the head. Cut back to Titus O'Neil, who shoves Neville to the ground, back of the head first. It's a blink and you'll miss it. Because mm -hmm. it's just the camera cuts back. Neville is already on his way to the ground. Things are looking super bad for Adrian Neville because he's on the outside. The count out is starting. But the Samwise Gamgee of NXT hurdles from out of the back and attacks Titus O'Neil. It's Sami Zayn with the Haluva kick. He's cheering on Neville. <laughs> Titus O'Neil is laying there like he's been run over. <laughs> and now Adrian Neville, he's got to beat the count. So Neville makes it. He gets back in the ring. He downs Kid. He lands the red arrow and retains the title. Samwise Gamgee looks proud and then looks a little conflicted. He gestures at O'Neal, mouths, you're welcome, and heads to the back. Neville looks conflicted about the situation too, but relieved at least that this is over. The camera cuts to Tyson Kidd holding his head in his hands. The announcer's voice rings out. Tyson Kidd has no more championship opportunities. <laughs> so rude. It. I know. Neil actually was like, Jesus, <laughs> yeah. why would they do that that's horrible and i was like yeah it's, this is very unkind i do not approve of it yeah. also with jojo's tone was like so bright and shiny about this horrible thing which i love jojo but i was like and that was the appropriate tone to take for it but i was also like oh <laughs> this is mean everybody stop it so it is a time of change in Middle Earth, it seems. Like, I don't think this is quite the end of the Third Age, but it's certainly the end of an age because Tyson Kidd has been gunning for Adrian Neville since he got there. Yeah, and now he's out. Which clears the deck for dot, 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 something. Question mark. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode overall? These episodes now make me go like, 
how did I get through all the other shit? I mean, the other shit had a bunch of dumb shit that was fun. But now it's just, it's plot stuff. And I'm getting to eat plot bites. And that's very exciting. And then there's matches where I get angry because I can't necessarily make it funny. Like, it's just good. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm here to entertain people. Uh, what am I gonna? How am I gonna make a joke about how fucking perfect this is? And I'm like, haha, it's so perfect. <laughs> something, something, the Sistine Chapel, something, something, Michelangelo's David. And I'm like, that's not anything. <laughs> but I also can't just scream at people, go watch it. Although there is now, it seems, once per episode, a match that is that level of good that you're like, no, I would legitimately show this to another person. Yeah. Big emotions about Sammy and Neville. So I showed a couple of highlights from takeover to Marissa who was convalescing the other day. Mm. And (laughs) there was the moment when Adrian Neville and Sammy Zane face off against each other. You know, they'd been kept apart this whole time. Mm -hmm. And Marissa just started screaming, they're gonna fuck. This is fuck energy. And I was like, (laughs) Yes, it is fuck energy. And I'm like, the fuck energy is continuing. And so I have not dared yet to go on AO3 because it is incredibly hard for me to determine when something... You can have a date of when it's published, but that doesn't tell you what date it is within like the chronology of NXT. Mm. It only tells you that somebody saw it at this particular time and wrote the fic and published it at this particular time. Right. But there is Sammy Neville stuff out there. And I am like... I want it. I want it today. So that's how I feel about this. (laughs) Well, I want to hear more about how you feel about this, Bob, in the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. But first, we have to quickly ring the bell for somebody here. And on this episode, we are ringing the bell for Troy McLean. You may remember him from that one time he teamed (laughs) up with Travis Tyler in November 2013, and then they (laughs) lost to the Ascension in like two minutes. He wrestled lots of house show matches over the course of his NXT career, uh, a large portion of them working with Travis Tyler as either his opponent or his tag team partner. Mm. Um, But he only had two televised appearances, and this is the second one. Unlike Travis Tyler, who went on to become indie star Dak Draper, Troy McLean's total remaining matches number in the low single digits and mostly Mm. take place in a Las Vegas-based wrestling promotion called Future Stars of Wrestling. But don't feel too bad for him. His Twitter bio, which (gasps) I found, (laughs) identifies him as a modern-day Han Solo, (gasps) a future romance novel cover model, what, and the host of the Triple Clowns Horse Racing Podcast. What the fuck? And if you would like to follow him, as I now do, uh, (laughs) his Twitter handle is still hilariously at Troy McLean WWE. Oh my fucking god. Yes. Yes, I'm going to follow this man. He's going to be like, why do I have, what's, what is driving this little bump in followers? What happened on this weird Saturday? He basically tweets only about sports. That's fine. I want him in my life, I guess. Yeah, I want him on the show, to be honest. I'm kind of (laughs) wanting to get him onto the podcast at some point. Well, I, fuck, if you think we can, I mean, I'm game to fucking try it. Also, this triple clowns thing. So this is a man interested in horse racing, which is interesting to me as a person who likes a horse. Yeah, he's very into horse racing from from his Twitter timeline. 
sidebar, horse racing is the most boring version of the horse sports. Steeplechase is the fucking shit, although it is goddamn dangerous and people legit die, so don't do it, <laughs> but it's really amazing. Fair enough. Troy McLean, we'll miss you on our uh, on our episodes here, but maybe yeah. we'll see you again. Who knows? Man, you're going to have to edit and make sure we sound like we're very positive about him, bud. Why Have we said a single negative thing about Troy McLean on this episode? Uh, I don't think so, I don't but think like, I don't know. And also, I don't remember the last time he was on, so I don't, I but, you know. I have nothing but positive feelings about Troy McLean. I want him in my life more than he is currently. Yeah, same, same. His hair, he had kind of, like, anchor hair, and I was very impressed yeah, with that. Yeah, he's a good-looking man, too. Gotta say that. Yeah, I mean, he is, you know, he is a future romance cover model. Yeah. I, I would put him on the cover of my romance novel. Absolutely. All right, well, with that, it is now time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, in this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Look, uh, Ty Dillinger's peck dance. (laughs) I also saw something interesting on Troy McLean's butt, but I could not figure out what the hell it was. And I tried. I tried to. I tried to. I couldn't figure it out either. I wanted to do a butt watch, but I got nothing. Yeah, it's like a seal of some kind, but it's yeah. not. It's I like a it might logo. Have said 25. I don't, I don't know. I couldn't tell. But the peck dance. I am a simple creature. <laughs> I pop for anything involving tits. It's just it's, <laughs> it's amazing. So yeah, no, that's what my elf eyes saw. They love a tit. This one. All right, Miles. What did your elf eyes see? Bob, have you ever heard the term selling on offense? No. Okay, well, selling on offense, just like mini bonus wrestling term of the week here. Selling on offense is when you are having a body part worked over the way Bailey did, like with her leg. Mm -hmm. And after you've had sufficient damage done to that body part, even when you go on offense, you're still selling the injury. Oh, that's a brilliant term. And if you want to see a perfect example of it, go watch the match between Bailey and Charlotte. I I griped about the finish. I honestly don't care, but like I see there's an argument that the leg should have been more involved in the finish. But Throughout the match, the way Bailey sells that leg injury, even while 100%. she's like doing suplexes and shit, absolute chef's kiss. Love to see it. Megan Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? The crowd during Tyson versus Neville. I almost had this as mine. <laughs> they were so interesting. At first, they were very on Tyson Kidd's side. And I mean, not like, overwhelmingly, but I would say like 40%. And then. It started kind of shifting. There was some weird chants that I couldn't hear that sounded sort of like third party chants at that point. And I was like, not CM Punk, but like something else. And then as things got rougher for Neville, they sort of got back on side with Neville. Mm -hmm. And then once Titus O'Neil got involved, then they were super on with Neville again. And of course, once Sami Zayn got involved, they were like, okay, well, if he's cool with Zayn, then like he's cool with us and we want him to win. And then whenever the announcement happened that, you know, he has no more championship opportunities, there was a weird mix of cheers and boos. Yeah. I was not sure what that meant, whether those people were booing because they're like, fuck this guy or like, you know, fuck this character. Or if they were like, no, we want him to have more champion. I I could not read that 
weird mix, but it was extremely emotional for the audience, which made me have all kinds of feelings. Not sure what their deal is. I mean, he's very fucking good to watch. That's true, but, yeah. but he's also such a good heel. I can't imagine like large portions of the crowd cheering for him. Yes, Full Sail doesn't tend to like the only heel that they really get behind, like a proper heel, is Tyler Breeze. Everybody else, they're like, nah. Well, yeah, he's but. not the kind of heel that like people start cheering for usually because he doesn't have no. some wacky fun gimmick or anything. You know what I mean? He doesn't do a lot of like yeah. fun high flying moves. Like he's a Tyson kid, but for some reason, like I love him, but he's like that's he's not that kind of wrestler. Um, yeah, but yeah, these huh. people love him more than I do. It seems echoes of the no, I'll stop. Rising right. from the ground, ashes of the <laughs> echoes of the sound. I fucked it up, damn it. I have found a little, like, hack for Miles now. If you're ever mad at me, I'll just say that. And then it'll be, like, gone again. <laughs> yeah, I've hacked it. Miles isn't mad anymore, at least for this next two seconds. Ashes of the past and the present and the future is now. Anyway. All right, Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? So I wanted to talk about the Tyson Kidd crowd thing, too, but I couldn't because I had to talk about some of the commentary during the Vaude Villains Jordan Dillinger match. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, because it ran quite the gamut in a very short period of time. So early in the match, <laughs> it's either Riley or Albert uh, starts talking about how the Vaude Villains should be on a tandem bicycle. <laughs> and they're like describing what they mean by that. And Rich Brennan chimes in with, oh, the one with the big wheel and the little wheel. You mean the penny farthing. Oh, Lord. Because Rich Brennan is apparently a cultured individual, and it just made me like him a little bit more. Rich Brennan watch. No, but that's a different thing than a tandem bicycle. I know, but but that's what they meant. Rich Brennan correctly identified what they meant, what they were trying to say. okay. Was a penny farthing and not a tandem bicycle, because he is a nerd and I like him a little bit more now. And then a few minutes later, a bunch of people are in the ring. I think Simon Gosh has been tagged in, so I have to assume Riley is referring to him. But Mm -hmm. he says... For some reason, I'm reminded of Lou Ferrigno. I heard that. I'm Who like, the hell is that? Which which one of these people reminds you of Lou Ferrigno, Alex? You moron. What, who or what is a Lou Ferrigno? Like, is he a is he a wrestle? Is he something nah, else? He's like an actor and also a bodybuilder. He played uh, the what? Yeah, he played the Incredible Hulk in that old '70s Hulk TV show. Oh. Okay. Um, so, like, I, the best I can think of is that he's trying to compare Gotch to Lou Ferrigno because Gotch oh. has muscles, but, like, oh, Lou Ferrigno's okay. a bodybuilder. <laughs> like, Gotch doesn't have that kind of muscles. No, those are different things that you have to do at the gym if and you like, want to have show-off muscles. Yeah, like, facially, they're nothing alike, so I have no idea what he's talking about. Huh. All right. Megan Bob, what did your human heart feel? The last five minutes of the episode? Yeah. The whole last five minutes is just thick with tension. So much shit is happening. Everybody's having feelings. Like, the audience is having feelings. The characters are having feelings. Goddamn. It's just exceptional. You could see nothing but those last five minutes and experience a whole roller coaster of emotions. It's very good. I'll just go in and jump on this because mine is basically that too, but specific to Tyson Kidd. I think mm-hmm. I appreciated everything about the entire tapestry of what was happening in those last five minutes. Oh, fuck yeah. But Tyson especially, like, I just talked about how he's not the kind of heel that, like, smart, cool people cheer for, but I just felt so bad for him, especially when she made the fucking announcement of, like, oh, no. I hated that, and I felt truly bad for him. I was like, this could be a face turn as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, 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 totally. In terms of my feelings about Tyson Kidd. Agreed. Well, those were the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. 
It is now time for Megan, Bob, and I to award one lucky performer, or two, with the Borens Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. So, Megan, Bob, who is getting your Lawrence Olivier Award on this episode? Adrian Neville. Sami Zayn is doing amazing stuff. I'm not discounting that at all, and he would be an easy pick for me to give it to. Uh-huh. But Adrian Neville is dancing on a fucking knife's edge. What do you mean by that? Something is changing. Something is coming. I know the way wrestling works. It's probably a heel turn. And I don't want it to be. But I also know that something is happening. And it's happening so slowly and incrementally. And so painfully in some ways. Because it doesn't seem like Adrian Neville likes this. Mm -hmm. This isn't a something is changing. And the other person's like, you know what? fuck everybody else, or even like, I've decided that this is who I am. It is like Adrian Neville is discovering something in each encounter. You're nailing it. I completely agree with you. And it's beautiful. It's so different than how anybody else has ever handled it. And I think it's one of those things where I'm like, I know people talk about Sami Zayn as like the thing about NXT at this period. Mm -hmm. But God Damn, Neville is doing the work that it's so different than what, you know, it's we've talked about their fighting styles. They're so different. Like Neville is all precision and control. Mm -hmm. And he is telling this quiet, incredible story that I'm like, people need to go back. People need to go back and go, we didn't realize what we fucking had. Neville is doing something next level. Like it's at the same level as Sami Zayn. It's just completely different. Completely agree. All right, Miles, who is getting your Borance Olivier Award? Everything that we love about this run with Sami Zayn would not be possible without what Adrian Neville is doing on the other side. God. That said, I'm giving my award to Sami Zayn. (laughs) Yeah, no, he was doing amazing shit. Tell me all about it. Just like the fact that he and Neville are kind of like passive aggressively feuding right now, just Mm. simply because- romantically feuding, you mean? Romantically feuding. Romantically feuding. Simply because he is the best boy ever and the best baby face ever. Of course he's coming out to take out Titus O'Neil when he interferes with the match. Of course he is. He's Sami Zayn and that's his friend. It doesn't matter what's going on between them. Instinctually, he runs out and kicks that motherfucker in the face. And then afterward, he kind of like realizes that they're still feuding in their way. And he starts doing (laughs) the like, you're welcome. I did this for you. I want to face you. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. But but really, it's just because it it was an injustice and Sami Zayn cannot let that stand. (laughs) God, it was so good because you could see the moment when his face changes and he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I loved it so much. He's only on the episode for like two minutes and I loved it so much. (laughs) It's a strong two minutes. (sighs) All right, Bob. Well, you know what it's time for now. I do. It's almost time for the wrestling term of the week. But before that, we need to get Bob's fanfic explaining the wrestling history of the week segment from two episodes ago, which was more women's wrestling history, this time focused on Shimmer. Bob, cannot wait to see what you came up with for this one. Let me tell you, I had a real fuck you, Miles moment. (laughs) I was facing this down. And I was like, Miles, why did you ever ask me to do this? You're a bad friend and I'm angry. There's only one and left. Then, There's only one left. Yeah, but you're going to keep doing this shit to me. It's just going to be different. You're not going to stop. It's just going to be different shit. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, Miles, I've I how long have I known you now? <laughs> long enough. Yes. Okay. But I am happy with the result. Okay. okay. 
This is it, the main event of the Glimmer Women's Wrestling promotion. The promotion that showcases women as the wrestlers they truly are. I'm Robin Goodfellow, and I'll be calling the action this triple threat. Yeah. Entering the ring is Beatrice. She's well known in her home promotion for speaking her mind and has been in several grudge matches that have gone down in the history books. She'll be facing off against Rosalind and Viola, both known (laughs) more for subterfuge, which I have to confess a soft spot for. You can take the puck out of the fairy wood, but etc, etc. Right. It looks like Rosalind is starting off the action and setting a brisk pace. She's well used to controlling the action. Oof! And that's a brutal leg sweep from Beatrice. Hardly surprising, she is not fond of being one-upped by anyone. Ask Benedict if you want details on that one. Though I think (laughs) he's found himself quite happy as her valet now. I know, not a match I'd have pegged, but the heart wants what it wants sometimes. Viola is keeping to the edges on this one and waiting for her opening. She's got a long history of biding her time and taking her risks more carefully. She stayed under the radar in Illyria for months, despite racking up multiple wins. And there she goes, a crossbody from the top rope, taking them both out. Is she really going to try and pin them both at once? She is! Kick out. Well, worth a try. I do like to see a chancer in the ring. Not that I'm playing favorites. I only have one favorite, and it's the queen that signs my paychecks. Titania stretched languidly beside him in the booth, keeping a sharp eye on the action. My generosity and patience with you is worthy of record, is it not? And I'll write an ode to it as soon as this match is over, my lady. (laughs) Smart arse, she smirked. Ah, but no fool. I did my homework on them all, didn't I? She raised an eyebrow. If you've come into my promotion looking for a pat on the head when you do as you're told... You'll be waiting many turns of the moon, little puck. Fair cop. Ooh, and a very unfair big boot from Rosalind. Beatrice doesn't fancy that, it seems. Surprise roll-up from Viola. Ah, Rosalind kicked out. Titania watched the action approvingly. It was a start. She would demand notice, and she would get it. On her terms. And woe to anyone who thought to stand in her way. The match concluded with a perfect spinebuster on Viola from Beatrice as she held off Rosalind with a kick to the jaw. Oh, a woman after my own heart, Titania murmured. You gonna challenge the winner? Robin prodded. Oh, if the mood strikes me, I might. But championships hold little interest for me. You know I don't fight over trinkets. I fight much subtler wars. And that, gentlefolk, is why I keep my head down and do as I'm told. Mostly. Mostly, Titania quirked a smile. Now be a good puck and shut your mouth. She stood and the crowd hushed. My gratitude to you all for joining us this night. Fools often seek to tear us down. We are mere playthings to them. Good for a moment's distraction and then forgotten again. Women do not know, do not understand what it is to fight, they mule. Every single one of us knows. Indeed, it is what we know best. We sleep and breathe the fight. The fight to be perceived and feared for what we are, for what we can do. This is what keeps us moving forward through indignities and slights that would crush others underfoot like blades of grass turn brittle under winter's spell. The cry of such fools buys not the notice of me, nor of anyone at this promotion. We have no time for such things. Busy as we are proving what is possible when you get out of our way.
Fuck yes. Yeah, oh. Titania is a natural Alice in danger who would be like, I'll gut you. I love it so much. Thank you so much, Bob. That was amazing. <laughs> it is now time for this episode's wrestling term of the week. And this episode, the wrestling term of the week is tryout. Okay. So this is both one of those terms that means basically what you think it means and that relates more to the business of wrestling than the narratives of wrestling. But the next episode does feature a fictional version of a tryout, so I thought it'd be a nice time to just touch on the idea and make sure people understand the process by which many, if not most, wrestlers arrive in WWE. It'd be nice to think that everybody got there because the friend they liked the least got them fired from their real job, but then went and talked to the general manager of their wrestling show. But if you're not already a known indie worker, the process goes something like this. You go to their website. You click on the big button that says apply now. Uh, the website then gives you two options, college athlete or all other applicants. Mm. And I just love this. I don't know how long this has been a thing, but I love that WWE views the world as people who play sports at college and everyone else. Jesus. In both cases, you have to fill out a questionnaire, though uh, being a college athlete is a real shortcut through that fucking thing. If you're not a college athlete, they want your nationality, your ethnicity. Do you have any wrestling experience? Do you have any acting or public speaking experience? Please include some videos of you doing wrestling things. Please tell us in 2000 characters why WWE should want to work with you. College athletes don't have to do any of that. Not even the part about wrestling experience. Jesus. It is literally what school do you go to? When do you graduate? And do you have an agent? God. Although my, my favorite difference between the two questionnaires is that providing your height and weight is required for college athletes, but optional for everyone else. What the fuck? Anyway, that was where my first person research ended. But uh, once you complete the questionnaire, you wait for WWE to contact you and invite you to a tryout. These are like big events that they hold multiple times throughout the year where you can go and prove how good at wrestling you are, or at least how good at like some stuff you are. I'm sure a lot of independent wrestlers like skip the questionnaire process and just get invited to a tryout by a scout or whatever. But even if you're mm. kind of a big deal on the indies, for the most part, you still have to try out. And unlike mm. the fictional version we'll see on the next episode, WWE tryouts usually aren't terribly exciting, especially when they don't involve established indie wrestlers. According to The Athletic, which was reporting about a tryout this upcoming WrestleMania weekend as we record this, which of course huh. is just for college athletes, quote, the tryout won't consist of much actual wrestling since the athletes haven't trained for that, but they will go through athletic evaluations, in-ring technical sessions, interviews, and promotional video evaluations like speaking on a microphone. Hmm. At the end of the tryout, if you did a good enough job or have what they're looking for in whatever way, uh, they sign you to a developmental deal. You start training at the Performance Center, and if you're good and or lucky enough, you eventually start doing dark matches and jobber matches for NXT. What I want to emphasize here is that there are a ton of points along this process where you can fall off. And the people that do actually make it to NXT television are pretty fucking good, Like even if they're just jobbers. Like... We laugh yeah. about jobbers, but those guys trained so hard for so many years to be a jobber on television. Most people don't get anywhere close to that level, and they deserve some credit. Yeah. But yeah, that's what a tryout is, at least in the wrestling world. That's so interesting. It makes me so curious about how they make some of the decisions that they make, because... Like, you end up with a Brock Lesnar or whatever, which, mm. fine, maybe he never had a tryout. Maybe they were just like, oh, he's a refrigerator masquerading I'm, as a human. I'm pretty we sure he did. I would be surprised if he didn't. I think what's interesting is that he must have been terrible on the mic whenever they first got him. 
and they just didn't care because he's so big. And they're like, ah, we'll just get him somebody else, which is like an option. Mm-hmm. But they're always more willing to do that for a man than they are for a woman, which is, I mean, Absolutely. I was going to say fine. It's not fine. But <laughs> but it's certainly a thing that they do. And it's very interesting to me where and when they value certain things. And also that there's things you could theoretically practice. You could practice being on oh, the mic. Yeah. And then, but you see people get out there and you're like, you have never practiced. Right. Or you have practiced and you are terrible at it nonetheless. You get selected for a lot of different reasons, right? Yeah, it's true. I guess if you can do the one thing no one else can do, then Mm -hmm. I guess it doesn't matter. It's just really interesting. Well, that was the wrestling term of the week, and you can come back on our next episode to hear Bob's fanfic explaining a tryout. All right. Well, we got to get out of here, but we can't do that before we complete the cheap pop quiz. Maybe I'll get a point. Maybe you will get a point. You have zero right now. Let's see what we got here, Bob. Question. Oh, you said that in a real fucking Tyson kid has no more opportunities way. How dare <laughs> I'm sorry. You? I apologize. No one should be made to feel that. <laughs> Question number one. Which of the following do Enzo and Cass reference in their promo against the vaude villains on the next episode? Is it A, Abbott and Costello? B, <laughs> Terminator 2? C, Hey Arnold, D, both A and C, or E, all of the above? Oh, oh, it's either A and C or all of the above, because I understand how a quiz works. (laughs) You know what? I want to live in the world where it's all of the above, therefore I will choose all of the above. All right, all of the above is your answer. Question number two. What weird thing happens in next episode's match between Tyler Breeze and Mojo Rawley? A. Mojo wins in dominant fashion, making Breeze look like an absolute chump. B. After about a minute and 15 seconds, the referee calls for the bell during a submission hold, even though nobody tapped out. C. Bull Dempsey accompanies Breeze to the ring, and they appear to be a team now? D. Breeze comes to the ring without his phone. Or E. Hashtag buttwatch. Mojo has new gear that has a picture of Breeze's face on the butt, Because Mojo is targeting Breeze with his butt, I guess. E is the fucking weirdest thing in the world. If you made that up, I don't know what you were smoking. It was not weed. (laughs) Um, On the basis of how weird that is, I am going with E. Although I gotta say, if it's the tap out ref thing, I would not be surprised in the least. Okay, but you're going with E, the the butt one. I All am right. going with E, because your delivery, Miles, you said it like it was a true thing, and that's, <laughs> you may have fooled me that way. We'll find out. Question number three. What's next episode's payoff for Funaki saying he has Hideo Itami's back? Is it A, when the Ascension try to jump Itami again, Funaki runs out to make the save, and succeeds, running the Ascension off? B, when the Ascension try to jump Atami again, Funaki runs out to make the save and fails, resulting in him and Atami both getting their asses kicked. C. When the Ascension try to jump Atami again, Funaki runs out to make the save, but turns on Atami, helping the Ascension <sighs> beat him down. D. The Ascension beat up Funaki, then beat up Atami, then make Atami watch them beat up Funaki some more. <laughs> or E. There is no payoff. Funaki isn't on the next episode and nobody says anything about him or acknowledges his previous appearance in any way. Fuck, I want to say E because they can't be done with this yet, but why would they? Uh, I can't imagine them paying off. This is all they've got right now. They've got this (laughs) fucking feud. They have to do more with it. 
Okay. But they get, how can they have them lose like that? I mean, but all right, I'm going to go with D. going to go with D. The Ascension beat up Funaki, then beat up Atami, then make Atami watch them beat up Funaki some more. I didn't get any points on this. I can feel it. But right. I don't, and I don't know what the correct answers are. <laughs> well, we'll find out on our next episode when we learn the answers to the cheap pop quiz. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for making me watch the wrestles and hang out, and also for making me watch the wrestles slowly so that way I don't eat all of them at once. <laughs> you gotta savor it. You gotta savor those wrestles. Because I watch them like two or three times, man. And uh, thank you to all of you out there who are savoring the wrestling along with us. Uh, we really yeah. appreciate everybody. In some ways, we particularly appreciate those of you who go over to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and uh, contribute to our show financially. Uh, you really help us keep the show alive, and we just really appreciate you for it. Um, wanted to do a quick shout out to at uh, Geek Girls Rule on Twitter. Oh, yeah! Who, who wrote us a fucking fanfic. It's so amazing. Byron Saxton's turn to wrestling absolutely incredible yeah it's called the fall of an angel you should all go read it we retweeted it on uh, our twitter account at nxt wrestling fan go check that out thank you so much for that it's on Um, ao3 you can find it just by the name well yeah very true i left a screaming comment on it because (laughs) i loved it so much one of the things we do do for our patrons when they sign up is we give them wrestling personas and we recently have pitted a bunch of those wrestling personas all together in a 12 team trios tournament. This is the final match of the second round, the final semifinal contest. And this match is between Sidriel Constellation, Danny Blackson and Cosmica and their opponents crash tag fat blunt 69 and Goodwill Green. Bob, tell me how this match starts out. Crash Tag starts out and hacks the Titan Tron specifically as a like dig at Cosmica and gets Elton John's Rocket Man burning out his fuse out there alone. Just to piss off Cosmica is also starting off. And Cosmica is so distracted because obviously like the audience starts sort of like swaying along to it and like doing concert hands and Cosmica's like, excuse you, this is a way of life. This is not a fucking like joke. (laughs) And that opens up Crash Tag to just go, cool, I'm out and tag in Fat Blunt 69. Cosmica has gathered up like the sense of self and now just does outer darkness on fat blunt who is fat blunt has priorities was trying to get his blunt lit sometimes the lighter's not cooperating sometimes the weed's wrong sometimes the paper's shit things happen and uh gets hit big time and it's weed flakes and bits of ash everywhere just all over the ring. Yeah, Fapulent starts getting worked over by uh, the team of Cosmica, Danny Blackson, and Sigil Constellation at this point. These are nominally two babyface teams, Bob, but they have been a little bit uh, on edge and a little bit at each other's throats recently, especially after that whole thing where Crash Tag won the championship. Yeah. Um, so the babyface team in this case, Cosmica, Blackson, and, and Sid, 
being a little bit more aggressive, and they're playing up the heels a little bit in this match, just in terms of they are the one who's isolated Fatball and 69, and are kind of taking turns uh, going back and forth, tagging in and out, and uh, you know beating him up, making sure he can't get to the corner. And Sid, in particular, has kind of got a bit of a uh, is this your king thing going on, you know, <laughs> and uh, is making pointed gestures at Crash Tag, who, again, they had that, that altercation before. You can't give Fat Blunt 69 time to get that joint lit. You just no. can't do it. No, nope. It's like fucking spinach for Popeye. And <laughs> as Sid's got their back turned, Fat Blunt is like trying on the ground, like covertly trying to get the blunt lit, finally does, takes a gigantic puff, and when Sid turns back around, Fat Blunt blows the smoke right in their face. Oh no! And it's like the thing, you know, and sometimes in Japanese wrestling, they do like the red mist or the green mist, and they always have the arms thrown out to the sides, and they do it, it's that exact pose. That's tremendous. Fat Blunt at this point tags in Crash Tag, and... Crash Tag and Sidreal Constellation go at it for a good while. Eventually, everybody ends up in the ring, as it always does in these matches. Come on now, like, what do you expect from us? But in this case, they end up doing the thing where, like, somebody gets thrown out of the ring, and then somebody does a high-flying move out on them, and then somebody else does a high-flying move out on yes! them, you know what I mean? They keep taking turns. And it finally ends with Sidreal going up to the top rope, and uh, as everybody else is brawling below them, they hit the brighter day top rope move onto everybody on the outside and like Sid stands tall over all the rest of uh, the competitors but then Watership Doom's music hits oh no because of course it does oh no and Watership Doom like walks out onto the stage and just like isn't really even doing anything just kind of pointing at Sid and laughing but like these days that's enough and Sid goes running after him and like they just immediately start brawling like the brawl goes to the back right away Sid inadvertently leaving their teammates high and dry here it's now kind of a three and two contest and everybody's on the outside Oh, Goodwill Green and Danny Blackson end up fighting up into the bleachers and then they fight back down and they end up tumbling over the announce desk, but they tumble over it from behind. And Danny Blackson gets up on the desk and leaps at Goodwill Green, who Goodwill Green's been working. Mm. Goodwill Green catches Danny Blackson and turns it into a powerbomb on the apron which is something we did not previously know Goodwill Green was really like had the chops to do, especially with Danny Blackson, who's a very legitimate competitor. So this is like growth we're seeing. Absolutely. So while that's been happening, Cosmica has gotten back in the ring and has been kind of throwing hands with uh, with Crash Tag and Fat Blood 69. And honestly, considering the numbers disadvantage, Cosmica is doing pretty well. But when... Goodwill Green smashes uh, Danny Blackson onto that apron the way he does. Even though Cosmica has now taken out both Crash Tag and Fat Blunt, mm. suddenly fucking Goodwill Green is looming up behind him. Goodwill Green grabs Cosmica from behind, lifts him over his head, and hits a move that the announcers refer to as Reduce, Reuse, Resuscitate. Yes! And uh, gets the pin. One, two, three over Cosmica. Holy Crash shit. Tag, Fatblunt69, and Goodwill Green are advancing to the finals to face Artemis, Overton Payne, and the Brick Toss Kid, and Watership Doom, Neil, 
and Morgan Mab. And uh, incidentally, shortly after the match, backstage cameras catch up with the fact that Sidril Constellation has been lured into a trap that involves Doom, Mab, and Neil, and is just having the shit beat out of them. Oh my goodness. But like... As they walk away, Sid's face kind of slowly looks up and you can see their eyes and you can just like tell this is not fucking over by a long shot. Dang, we've created chaos here, Miles. Y'all, the next episode is going to be the finals. So I hope everybody enjoys it. (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be some big things that happen. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to all, all of our patrons who made that little match possible and make, continue to make the show possible. Once again, you can join them, join their ranks, join our uh, weird little promotion here over at www.patreon.com slash NXTWrestlingFan. Subscribe at $2 or more for various rewards. And uh, if you can't do that, don't want to, don't have time, don't have money, don't feel like we're worth it, that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's fine. fine. You're still allowed to listen and hang out. We're yeah. not going to stop you. Just chill out. Listen, yeah. listen to the podcast. We're getting some really good shit here in uh, 2014 NXT. Yes, we so, are. So uh, we hope you stick around, and we hope you will join us once again in two weeks for a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Yeah! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. If it was football, it would be a misinterpretation of referees. Oh, shade. Look, they know what they did. (laughs) Wow. Okay. All right. I guess a football thing happened. I don't want to know more than that. It's not just one thing, Bob. It's every every single time. NFL refs are the worst. But they have video. What the fuck? It's you. You would be shocked. You would be utterly shocked at the knowledge of how completely incompetent they are. I want to get to be that bad at my job and get paid. Right. I mean, I don't actually because I my job matters and I care about it. But like, <laughs> I wish that incompetence was heavily rewarded in all like other arenas where yeah, it matters too. less. Me too. I did have a real moment where I was like, is Elijah going to come in? Is Elijah going to come in and be like... <laughs> I mean, okay, backstage, he's privately like, oh, God, she's so fucking hot. I love my scary wife.